Well, we took my son Levi on his first camping trip uh, this previous summer. And while I was at the campground setting up our tent, because that's what the dad does, right? He sets up all the stuff. So I'm setting up our tent, and I'm watching as this older couple takes their grandson and kind of begins to walk around our campsite. And with them was their, their little grandson. He had a pacifier in his mouth. He had to have been about my son's age, one, one and a half, somewhere in there. And my son noticed him. And I watched as he kind of toddled over to the boy. And I was excited because he didn't socialize with a lot of kids. And so I thought, he's going to make a new friend. This is going to be fun to watch. And so I stopped at the tent. And I just sort of stood back to, to see how this would unfold. And Levi came up to the boy, and he stopped. And the two stared at each other for a little while and kind of looked at each other up and down. And then my son reached out his hand. And I thought, oh, he's going to make a friend. He's going like, to give a high five or something. But that's not what happened at all. He snatched that pacifier out of that boy's mouth, and then he turned around and ran the other way. He didn't care about that boy at all. He just wanted that binky. And when I think about stories like that, I'm reminded how, from a very young age, we come into this world almost programmed to be a little self-centered. And I'm not judging little kids for that. They can't help it. It's how they survive, right? I mean, you think about a baby. A baby is very needy and, and perhaps one of the most self-centered creatures on the planet because everything is about them. When they cry, it's, I'm hungry, wah, or I've messed myself, wah, or it's 3 a.m. and I'm awake. I don't care if you got to go to work in the morning, wah, wah, wah. That's what babies do, and we don't think anything of it. We expect small children to be a little self-centered, but if your adult roommate did that exact same thing, I'm willing to bet your feelings on the matter would be a little different. Because there's this reasonable expectation that as we grow and mature, we will eventually leave behind these self-centered ways. The reality is, though, that never really happens. Not fully, anyway. These tendencies stick around and they grow, they take root in our hearts, and they turn into what we've been calling around here the me monster. It's that voice in our hearts and in our minds that whispers to us thoughts of me, me, me. We started a series several weeks ago called Taming the Me Monster, and it's all about overcoming this self-centered voice. And if you've been with us at any point in this series so far, you know the key to taming the me monster is in the example of Jesus Christ, because in him we see what selflessness really looks like. We, we see in the way that he stepped into this world and left behind his divine privilege. We, we see it in the way that he used his life to serve others. We see it in the way that he gave his life away so that we might receive the gift of salvation. He is the epitome of selflessness. So if you want to tame the me monster, the key is in his example. Just do what Jesus did, right? Simple as that. But we all in here know that knowing what to do is one thing. Knowing how to do it, though, is an entirely different matter. When we start to think about our lives and what that kind of selflessness looks like, we start to ask practical questions like, what, what does that look like exactly? How do we cultivate this attitude in our lives? And that's what our time here this morning is all about. It's time to get down to the nuts and bolts, the practical aspect of cultivating this selfless attitude. And to help us out with that, we're going to be looking at the book of Philippians this morning. We're going to be continuing our, our look at that letter. And we're going to be in chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to open up to Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. If you don't have your Bibles, that's okay. You can follow along on the screen behind, or even better, you can pull open the YouVersion Bible app on your phone or your mobile device and follow along there. 
In any case, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 this morning. And when we look at this passage, what we find are two examples of what practical selflessness looks like in life. Uh, the first example that we have here comes from the life of a man named Timothy. So let's look at Timothy's life. Let's see what he has to teach us about selflessness. Start in verse 19. It says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I'm confident that in the Lord that I myself will come soon. So who's this Timothy guy that we're reading about? What's his deal? Well, Timothy, if, you, if you're not familiar, was a young man. He was a, a disciple, or to put it another way, an apprentice of the Apostle Paul. Paul is the guy who planted this church in the city of Philippi. He's also the guy that wrote this letter that we're reading. And if you know Paul's story, he traveled kind of all over the Mediterranean and all over the ancient Roman Empire, planting churches in major cities back then. And Timothy was by his side for a lot of his journeys and a lot of his travels, meaning that Timothy has preached in a lot of these cities, and he has helped the poor in a lot of these cities, and he has encouraged the downtrodden in a lot of these cities. And really, he spent a lot of his life just serving these people. He was a very familiar face to the original audience of this letter. And when I read about his example, there are two verses here that really stand out to me. The first is verse 21. It says, For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And when I hear that, I think, not much has really changed in 2,000 years. That's still pretty common. In fact, people just kind of have this natural tendency to look out for their own interests without really considering how it might impact others. Case in point, my wife and I love to watch uh, some reality television shows, not all of them, some of them are a little too trashy for us, but we like Undercover Boss when that show was really popular. If you're not familiar, it's a show where CEOs uh, go under, in disguise and entry-level positions at their companies just to kind of see what life is like on the other side of the desk. And Steve Dushi was a, a man who participated. He's a CEO of a small retailer called Shopper's World. It's kind of like Shopco, really. It's about the same size and idea. So Steve got to stock shelves and run the register and do everything that a retail employee would do. And what he found was that his decisions as CEO were making the jobs of his employees way more complicated than they needed to be. I mean, he had put rules and policies and procedures in place that on paper looked really good. I mean, they secured the product and made it safe. They also made it very profitable to run each of these stores. What he didn't take into consideration was how this would complicate the jobs of his employees and how it would frustrate a large number of them. And it's not like Steve made these decisions out of malicious intent. He wasn't trying to make life difficult. He was just doing what most of us would probably do if we were in his situation. He's looking out for his own interests. What's going to make my job easier? What's going to make my profit margins higher? What's going to secure the most products so we lose you know, as little as possible? He was making decisions out of his own interests, not really considering how it might impact others. And we might be able to look back at our own lives and see a situation where we made a decision or we said something or we did something that seemed good, it profited us, but maybe we didn't consider the implications and the fallout in other people's lives. It's very common 
me monster kind of behavior. But Timothy's held up as an exception to this. In fact, that's the other thing that stands out to me here. Look at verse 22 and what it says. So, you know, for 21, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, or in other words, he's demonstrated himself to be different. Because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. It's Timothy's service that makes him stand out above others. It's his service that really Paul draws attention to here and wants us to notice as well. And when I hear about Timothy and his service, and I think about the ways in which he served these ancient people, I'm reminded of people in my own life who have poured out their time and their energy and their means for the betterment of others. I think specifically of a couple named Robert and Vicki. Uh, Robert and Vicki were a couple from the, the ministry that my wife and I just left. And they were, they were country folk, about as country as you could get. They lived out in the middle of nowhere. They had a bunch of chickens, a bunch of guns on the wall and everything. They would have it no other way. They were proud country folk. They're also some of the most generous and kind people I've ever met. Uh, Robert loved to go duck hunting. He'd take his two boys. They'd go hunt. And over the course of a weekend, they might bag over 100 ducks. They just loved killing those things. <laughs> what was funny was that they hated the taste of duck. They wouldn't eat these birds. And at first when I heard that, I thought, man, that's really wasteful. And then they explained. Robert and his boys, they would go kill the ducks. And Vicki, she would clean all these birds. And then they would take all that meat, and they would go door to door to these widows that they knew in their tiny community or in their circle of friends. And they would deliver just pounds and pounds of this meat just to kind of help them get by a little bit. Like I said, they also raised a bunch of chickens, and I don't know what they were feeding these hens, but those girls produced. They had eggs and eggs and eggs, dozens and dozens every week, way more than Robert and Vicki could ever use by themselves. And so they would bundle them up, and they would take them to the elderly, or they would take them to shut-ins, or they would take them to people that are just down on their luck just to help them out, just to be kind. And I watched these two give and give of their time and their energy, and their means again and again without ever really stopping to think, how is this going to impact us? They just gave, and they served these people. And to me, they are an example of what selflessness looks like in practice. They're my Timothy. And you may have a Timothy in your own life, somebody that stands out to you, and when you hear the word service, that's what comes to mind. But Timothy's not the only example given to us in this passage. We see the life of another man is held up for us to learn from. His name is Epaphroditus. So let's look at his, name, his life and see what it has to teach us in verse 25. It says, But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. And indeed he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor men like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you couldn't give me. So hearing that, you may feel that you're only getting half of a story there, and that's because you kind of are. So let me see if I can't fill in some of the gaps here. Uh, Like we said earlier, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is the man who wrote this letter to this ancient church in Philippi, and he writes this as he sits in prison. 
for preaching the gospel that was frowned upon at this point in time. Now, the prison system today is a little different than the prison system in the ancient world. Today, prisoners have to have their basic needs met, things like shelter and food and water and so on. If they're not met, it's considered a human rights violation, and that's a big deal. You know, under our laws, no citizen shall suffer cruel or unusual punishment. The Roman Empire didn't have such strong feelings about that. Uh, they didn't really feel any obligation to supply for the needs of prisoners. And so that responsibility fell to either family members or friends. They had to supply all of the food. They had to supply water. They had to supply clothing and so on. Now, in the situation we just read about, it's the church in Philippi that has said, we will take care of Paul's needs while he's in prison because he's our brother. We care about him. The problem was that Paul was in a city far, far away from Philippi. It's not like all these people could just uproot their lives and leave their jobs and go and take care of their friend. So instead, they selected a representative, this guy, Epaphroditus. And he left his job. He put everything on pause. He left his family, and he traveled this long distance with a collection that had been taken with the job of buying the things that Paul needed and taking care of his needs and helping him out in whatever way they could while he was incarcerated. And you probably picked up from this that it wasn't an easy journey. In fact, along the way, Epaphroditus got very ill, and by the time he arrived to Paul, he was half dead. In fact, the guy almost died completely. But God had mercy, and Epaphroditus recovered, and Paul is getting ready to send him back to Philippi. And this guy is held up as an example for us in verse 29 and celebrated as somebody who served, somebody who gave of his time, gave of his energy, gave of his very self to the point that he almost died, in order to help out his friend who was in need and in a difficult situation. It's Epaphroditus' service, once again, that is celebrated. And you're probably starting to see a theme emerge from the example of these two men. It's this example of service. And it makes sense that we would focus on service if we're trying to learn how to be like Christ because Jesus himself was a servant. In fact, that word is used of Jesus on several occasions. If we were to bounce back a couple of verses to verse 7 in Philippians chapter 2, we would see that he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. Jesus came to serve. He says so himself in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. He says, for even the Son of Man, which is Jesus' favorite way of referring to himself, even I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve. And even that last phrase, give his life as a ransom for many, reminds us of Jesus' greatest act of service, where he handed his life over on the cross. You know, he gave of himself so fully so that we could receive so fully. Receive mercy and forgiveness and love and life forever with God. Jesus served us through the cross. So if we're trying to imitate the selflessness of Jesus, it makes sense then that we would find examples of service held up and that we ourselves would be challenged to serve today. Service is how we cultivate this attitude of selflessness. It's through service that we cultivate an attitude of selflessness. So the question then becomes for us today, how do we serve? In this day and age, what does service look like? Well, really any time we give of ourselves for the betterment of others, we starve the me monster through service. There are a lot of different forms that service can take. Sometimes, though, 
we need to be willing to open our eyes and consider new opportunities that maybe we hadn't considered before. New challenges to serve in a way that stretches us a little bit. And it's to that end that I've asked my friend Amanda Troyer to come this morning and to share a little bit about an oftentimes overlooked area of service that she is very passionate about, foster care. So Amanda, why don't you come up a little bit? Welcome Amanda to the stage. They've got a microphone. So Amanda, uh, like I said, her passion is foster care. So Amanda, why don't we start, because I know sometimes there's some confusion. What, what is the difference between foster care and adoption? Okay. You should be. Yes. So foster care is a safe, temporary haven for kids to go to that the goal is for them to go back home, whereas adoption is you get to keep that child. Um, we do ask that you um, love these children like your own and then be willing to be able to give them back if they are able to go back to their parents. So it's usually a child that is in a, a difficult situation or there's something that makes home uh, unsafe. And so foster care then is the end goal is just to provide a safe place while uh, the family life gets straightened out and then to sort of facilitate just a loving environment. Is that correct, correct. in saying? Okay. Yes. Great, and I know that you've, you've uh, discussed with me already, but could you put into perspective for the rest of us, what kind of need is there for foster care in our area? Sure. So I work out of the Galesburg and Macomb office, and we serve roughly anywhere from 75 to 100 children uh, right now. And we have three licensed foster parents in Monmouth. Um, I do work out of a lot of different counties, so, um, we have more homes in like Fulton County, Knox County, um, McDonough, but for Monmouth, we only have three foster homes. And the problem is we had a little guy who came from Monmouth and because we were unable to find any homes in his area, he's now near LaSalle or Chicago. Completely new community, new um, people, it's totally out of his realm. Which is a lot. For a little mm -hmm. guy you know, who's already yeah. going through a lot. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you were able to find a home for him, but that's not the case always. Um, what happens when you can't find a foster home for a child? Okay. <laughs> that is a very intense process. If we can't find a foster home, well, first of all, you can, there are times when children can go to a residential treatment facility or a group home, but to get those children into those places, there's a wait list and a wait time. We had one kid waited two months before he could go. Um, luckily, we had a home for him, but if we didn't, it would have likely ended up in what's called a shelter protocol. It's a, our last resort, so it sometimes it goes from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. if we're lucky, but sometimes we're going into 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock. I've been in the office until 10 o'clock before. And basically, we're calling every agency in the state asking, do you have a foster home that can meet this child's need? If we don't, then, and we have to document this on paper that we called every agency, what their answer was, what time we called, um, it's really in depth. Um, but they go to what's called a shelter, and that's essentially a homeless shelter for children who cannot be placed. It's very ugly. A lot of times it's the kids with the extreme behaviors, but sometimes we've had kids who don't have those extreme behaviors and yet they're just 15. And that's, um, 
one of our biggest needs is foster homes for teenagers because normally when you say, I have a 15-year-old teen boy, you don't even have to go any further to explain the behaviors or strengths of the child. Everybody shuts down. Nope, don't have a home for that teenager. So it's, it's, a, it's a rough time because it's, I, I assume it's just not a lot of supportive adult presence in these shelters, and so it's kind of a fend-for-yourself situation. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. Well, you know, hearing this, there may be some people that are curious about foster care. So what, could, uh, what qualities make for a good foster parent? Okay, uh, the two most qualities that, or the best qualities that you need is patience and love, unconditional love. Uh, these kids come to us emotionally damaged, uh, so they might have behaviors, uh, most of them do, but um, they're really good kids. When you get through the first, you know, few months and work with them and provide structure, stability, um, dedication, compassion, empathy, uh, the biggest thing is being able to understand why these kids are behaving the way they behave. So understanding why trauma results in the behaviors that they may have. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like there's a lot of patience, a lot of giving of yourself yes. in this. Well, not everybody <coughs> is obviously uh, qualified or called to be a foster parent. So uh, you know, if there is a, if this is hitting somebody's heart, but they think, you know, I, I don't know if I could be a foster parent for months and months. Are there other ways that we could volunteer to help these kids out in our community? Sure, um, we take donations like for diapers, school supplies. A lot of times, these kids don't have luggage or bags, so their stuff is in trash bags. We want to get away from that. Their belongings are not trash, they are not trash, so donating um, suitcases or duffel bags. Um, we also have on-call advocates, and we need a lot more of those. Um, you would be responding to kids at two or three in the morning who may be sitting at the police department, and you would try and work with the family, get them um, to go back home, but if they can't go back home, then they would call me, and I'd find them a foster home for 48 hours. So two things there. You could apply to be an on-call advocate, or you could become a licensed foster home, but if maybe you can't do the whole long-term thing, because kids don't return home in six months. That's kind of a myth. Um, it might be a year, two years. I had one home who had kids in her home for four and a half years before they returned home. So if you can't do the long-term thing, if you want to become licensed, you can take teens who have been locked out of their home. Parents say they can't come home or they've ran away from home, and you would be there for them for 48 hours. Okay, well, sounds like there are several opportunities to serve mm -hmm. there. So Amanda, thank you for coming and sharing. I know it's not always easy to talk in front of crowds of people, uh, but we do appreciate your time. Thanks for sharing a little bit about foster care. Thank you. Now, I asked Amanda to come and speak about foster care a little bit, because as I'm sure you picked up, there are a lot of themes there, a lot of giving of yourself, a lot of loving people uh, beyond those who are immediately connected to you. To take care of these kids will cost your time and your energy, and it will require you to love uh, almost unconditionally. Does that sound like anybody we know and worship? It kind of sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? Foster care is one avenue where we can pour ourselves out and serve these kids, give of ourselves for the betterment of someone else. But I don't want you to leave here this morning thinking that service only takes place in big, life-changing uh, opportunities and circumstances like this. We can start to cultivate an attitude of selflessness through purposeful and deliberate action every day. 
For instance, you may choose to start cultivating this attitude at home in your life with your spouse. You know, maybe there, there is something that has been on their agenda, maybe some responsibility or chore that they're usually responsible of, but they just got a ton of stuff going on. You can serve that person by saying, you know what, I will use my time and I will do that for them. I actually had an incident like this yesterday. My wife was going to the grocery store and it was one of those, those trips where you go and you get everything and you come home and realize you forgot something so you got to go back. And I think this was her third trip to the store. We were just trying to make a pot of chili. And all I wanted to do was eat Doritos and watch the football game. Uh, Illinois was playing, and I just I wanted to do that. But she was on her third trip to the store, and I thought, maybe I should practice what I preach this morning. And so I took it upon myself to start making the chili. I didn't finish it, but I did start the chili. Uh, and that's just one example of how we can give of ourselves in small ways. You know, nobody's going to give me a medal for making a pot of chili. But in small ways, we can start to cultivate this attitude. Or maybe there's a different relationship that you can start to practice this in. Maybe it's your relationship with a coworker or a neighbor, or a parent, or a child, there's somebody in your life whom you can start to give of yourself for their betterment today and start cultivating this attitude of selflessness. Every act of service starts with this simple question. How will I give of myself for the betterment of this person? That's the simple question where it all starts. We can see that question behind Timothy's service and Epaphroditus' service as they pour themselves out to help out this Philippian church. We can see that question in the gospel of Jesus as he poured out his life on the cross in order to rescue and redeem us. The question that we have this morning is, how will we answer this question? How will we start to put into practice this attitude of selflessness and give of ourselves? There's a step to be taken this morning. For some of us, it may be the very first step in which we pour out our lives before Christ because he poured out his life for us. It's that step in saying, I will serve you because you served me by giving your life. And if that's you, you this morning, you need to start that journey. There's a, a connection card on the back of the chair in front of you. It's, it's just our way of getting to know you, but on the back left-hand side, there's a column of boxes all about starting a journey with Christ. If you need to take that step this morning, I want to encourage you, fill out that card, mark the appropriate box, Hand it in at the desk in the lobby because we would love to help you get started with that today. For some of us, the step that we might need to take is begin serving here at church. You know, there are a lot of opportunities for us to start giving of ourselves for the betterment of others right here. And it's great because it puts us on a schedule, there's some accountability, and it's a great way to start cultivating this attitude. If that's you on the back of the connection card on the right-hand side, there's a series of boxes all about serving. And I'll give you the same encouragement. Mark one of those boxes, hand it in at the desk in the lobby, because we'd love to get you plugged in and help you start developing this in your life now. For other of us, others of us, though, that step might be a smaller one that we need to take at home as we start to serve the people that live under our own roof or serve the people that live next to us or serve the people that we spend eight hours a day with in the office. We need to start giving of ourselves in order to better the lives of others the way that Jesus gave of himself to better our lives and our eternities. Service is how we cultivate this attitude of selflessness, and it's through service that we start practically taming the me monster in our lives. I want to encourage you this morning. The me monster is going to tell you, you don't need to serve. You are the exception. You don't need to worry about this. There are plenty of other people. Don't listen to that voice. Instead, listen to the call of Christ and take the step that you need this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today, and we thank you, uh, we thank you for serving us, which is just a crazy idea. 
that you who are the maker of all things, who have breathed life into our lungs, would serve us by giving your son on the cross. I pray that that powerful example would impress itself upon our hearts and our minds and that we would seek to be servants as well. I pray that we would learn from the example of Jesus and that we would give of ourselves to better the lives of those around us, that in doing so, we would show people the love of Jesus and the light of Jesus in all that we say and we do. Father, I pray that you would set before us this week opportunities to serve, that you would impress it upon our minds to take advantage of these and to pour ourselves out the way that Christ did. Lead us in these endeavors and help us to cultivate this selfless attitude in our lives. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen.